Good morning, those of you who are here, those of you that are online. You know, I feel like so often, you know, I've gotten into baptismal in a church and feel like I'm baptized by cold. This morning, I think we're baptized by fire <laughs> as we're in this place, but it is, it is good to worship the Lord together and to be together. If you've got a Bible or an app, you want to open up to Psalm 84. We spend the next two weeks looking at this beautiful psalm. You know, we we finished last week, and I felt like it's such a joy to come together in community. We need to spend another week or two talking about the joy of corporate worship before we delve into our next sermon series, which we'll do the first Sunday in July. Um, so here we are in Psalm, I guess, yeah, Psalm 84. Perfect. It's there. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Becca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the, God, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have spoken. And Father God, we recognize that we are living in an era and a culture, Lord God, where I, I think many are actually hungry to hear your voice, whether they know it or not. And Jesus, we pray that as we have read your word, that you would now apply your word to our hearts, that you would change us and transform us, Lord God, that we would look more like Jesus and less like the people we were before we came to know you. Father God, won't you work in us that we would be a people of hope, of strength, as the psalmist writes about, a people of joy and love and grace. A people, Lord God, whose, whose lives bear out this conviction that we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. A people that say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Lord God, won't you do a work of grace in us? Won't you grow us and mature us, Father God? Won't you make the light of the glory of the gospel shine brighter in this city, Lord, that, Father, um, that, they would, that people all across this city would see your love and grace shining through us as surely as they can see the steeple of this building for blocks and blocks and blocks. 
Won't you please magnify your name in this town and work salvation? Lord, we love you. We need you. We thank you for your goodness to us, even now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, I read this psalm, and the first question that jumps to my mind is, what are you longing for? What do you long for? Someone, if someone came to you, you know, if, the, if you had the little thing and you, and you rubbed the lamp and the genie came out and said, what do you want? What are your three wishes? What are the first three things you'd say? Air conditioning? <laughs> no one said air conditioning. <laughs> what would you say? What are you longing for? You know, I have to confess, I thought, I thought about that. Um, and by the way, can I just say, that's awesome you guys responded back. Um, it's actually feeling like a Baptist church right now. I mean, if we had a potluck after this, it'd be like, yes! Baptists can move. Especially when there's a um, buffet table. Sorry. Um, what are you longing for? You know, I, um, I thought about that, and, and I have to confess that some of the things I'm longing for would sound very, very holy and spiritual. But you know, the first thing I thought of when I asked myself the same question, maybe, maybe it didn't seem too holy and spiritual. I thought, I long for a cabin in the woods. That's the first thing I long for. A cabin in the woods that's serene. And I, and I was trying to think, why is that like one of the first things that jumped to my mind? A cabin that my family and I can go to. And it's probably because that is one of the best memories of my childhood. You know, growing up, about once a month, I'd get in the car with my mom and, hi mom, and um, she's watching online, I think. And I'd get in the car with my mom, and we would drive out to Grandma's house. And it was one of these kind of over-the-river-and-through-the-woods experiences. And my mother was very gracious. She'd listen to me play awful music in the car for, you know, the hour drive. And we'd go to Grandma's house there, a cabin in the woods, long dirt road to get there, no neighbors in sight. And it was like the perfect place if you were a 10-year-old kid, because you could just be filled with wonder and imagination. You could sh I'd shoot the bow and arrow for hours. I would go and ha you know, have pretend fights with enemies in the woods. I'd you know, mow her lawn and watch birds and deer and pheasants, even wolves, like run into her property. And it was the coolest thing in the world place to be if you were a kid. It was peaceful and serene, and I always felt happy when I was falling asleep and she would say, it's time to go home. <laughs> and I'd fall asleep 30 seconds into the car on the drive home. And so I, I long for that, to have that with my family, that serene place. But I said, well, the psalmist this morning, it's, this is a psalm of longing. Do you see that? It's a psalm of longing. And what's amazing, and, and maybe depending on your background, kind of surprising is what the psalmist is longing for is corporate worship. <laughs> that is what they are longing for. So we, again, we're looking at this text in two weeks because I didn't want to keep you here till 1230 on this hot day. This morning, we're going to see the longing of the psalmist, and we're going to start to look at the blessing of God's presence. Longing. They are longing to worship in the temple of God with the people of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Three times a year, the Israelites had to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for a festival. 
And, um, and that, for some people, that might be a really easy trip. You know, they already lived in Jerusalem. But for some people, this would be a multi-day or a multi-week journey. I mean, imagine that. Three times a year, we have to get and we have to travel by foot through this arid culture, up and down mountains and valleys to go to worship. You know, I think there are some of us, if we're really honest, we're really happy if we can get in the minivan, bring the whole family to church on a Sunday morning without sinning. And that's in a 15-minute drive. For some of them, this was a week-long experience, three times a year, to go and worship the Lord. And here he is reflecting on that experience of travel, and he's saying, I can't wait to get there. My heart and flesh sing for joy about getting there. And, and, and again, I, I, I just start with the psalmist, and I'm standing at wonder at his longing, and also I feel like instant conviction. I haven't even gotten out of the first verse, and I feel conviction. Because again, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say there are times in which we really just want to hit the snooze button on a Sunday morning. We really just want to go to the beach instead. We really want to stay in the air conditioning. Um... And yet here he is, and he's longing, longing. There is no rote. Worship is not some mechanical experience for the psalmist. My heart and flesh cry out. Again, he's a good Baptist. He moves. He's like, my heart and flesh cry out. He's longing. He's excited for the courts of the Lord. The psalmist is excited to go and meet with God. There's zeal. There's passion. There's energy. Does he sound like Tigger or Eeyore? And you can imagine, well, I guess I should go to worship today. How many of us, that's how we approach worship. And yet you can hear the psalmist, my soul longs. And this, it didn't make a sound. Good job, Tom. Like, you know, he longs, my flesh faints. There's passion and zeal and energy. He can't wait to get to corporate worship. It's amazing, and, and, and that is the biblical vision of worship that sometimes I think, particularly if you've been in the church, it's easy for us to forget. You know, I love how Dallas Willard puts it. He says, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, and unfamiliarity breeds contempt. Sometimes, what, you know, I mean, the, 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 uh, even me, the, I think I've been a believer for 20 plus years, the longer I am in the Lord, sometimes I just take things for granted because I've gotten used to them. And I forget the sheer wonder of what I am experiencing or a part of. Here he is, he's longing. And, and, and this longing for biblical worship, again, it stirs his emotions and affections. There's no such thing biblically as a frozen, chosen Christian. And living in the Northeast, you've heard that, right? I can remember going to Promise Keepers in the Northeast years ago, and they're saying, well, we're coming to the frozen, chosen. That's a misnomer. It's like the Holy Roman Empire. It was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire, right? It's like there is no such thing as the frozen chosen in Christ. There's passion and zeal. Why? And that's what I love about this. The psalmist is longing to go to the temple, and he tells us why. Because that's where he's going to meet God. That's where he's going to encounter the God of Israel, right? He calls it the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He's longing for the courts of the Lord. God's glory is displayed everywhere in the world. 
Psalm 19 tells us that, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth is filled with his handiwork. You stand on top of Mount Washington, you see the glory of God displayed in in the mountains that stretch before you. You look east over the ocean, and you see the glory of God displayed in the sea. You You see a whale come up outside in the east of Boston. You see the glory of God displayed. The glory of God is displayed in his creation, and yet... The Shekinah glory of God was particularly manifested in the temple of God. Solomon consecrated the temple. If you want to read the historical literature, he prays that God would be there. The Spirit of God comes down and and physically manifests itself in the temple of God. And it stays there until, and I can't remember the chapter, the book of Ezekiel, when God's Spirit leaves. So, so he's longing to go worship God in the courts of the Lord because that's where he is particularly going to encounter God. And this is important, right? Because I think the psalmist is not longing to get up early. He's not longing to hear a speech. He's not longing to throw some money in the, in the box that would have been outside of the temple, right? He's not longing to just sing songs because he loves his voice so much. He's not longing to do any of those things that are part of corporate worship. They're a means to an end. He's longing to go to worship. I think he's longing to do those things because they're the vehicle through which he meets the Lord and he worships the Lord and he encounters the Lord. Encountering the Lord is the the fuel, you know, that is firing this zeal, this passion, this energy. Someone says to you, why do you go to church today? I think, you know, the average person that doesn't come to church, they're thinking, why do you want to get up early, stand in a hot room, and listen to some muckety-muck talk for half an hour? Let's be honest, 45 minutes. (laughs) Why do you want to do that? I hope your response is, because as we're going to see in a second, Because when we gather together in the worship of the Lord, according to the means he has given us, we encounter Jesus. That's why we, and and you got to, again, get to that is the focus. That is the longing. I will never speak in such a way. No worship team this side of heaven will lead in such a way in and of itself, I think, to make you say it's the best thing in the world. It is who we are really encountering when we gather together corporately. It's the longing of your heart to worship God together. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. When we start talking about, when you read this Bible at home or when we read this Bible corporately, we are not dealing with a human book. We're dealing in a book that was written by human authors under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit so that it is an accurate reflection of everything God wants us to know, right? It's God-breathed. So there's this excitement for us anytime to get into this book because we know that this is God's voice speaking through the pages of Scripture. Praise God. And praise God that even though it's great to know Greek and Hebrew, you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to hear the voice of God through his word. Praise God. And scripture goes even further, right? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, I love this, is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We don't worship a book. That would be, ready for the phrase of the morning, bibliolatry. (laughs) We don't worship a book. 
but we worship a God who speaks through his book this day. I remember, you know, a number of years ago when um, the UCC came out with that phrase, you know, God is still speaking. You saw it on banners outside of United Congregational Churches. God is still speaking. And I always thought, well, yeah, I agree with that, but what I mean is different than what you mean. God is still speaking. He speaks through his word. It's living and active. And so when we gather around his word, we are encountering the living God who still speaks through it. When God's word is preached, read, and taught, God is speaking. And so here at Dover Baptist Church, one of the things I, I love about this church is that we want this church to be unleashed like a lion. The word of God is a lion. We, as Spurgeon said, we don't need to defend it. We just need to let it out of its cage. And when we let the lion out of its cage, God does his work down the souls, the highways of your soul, revealing himself, communicating. We hear the voice of God through his preached word, 2 Timothy 4. We see the grace of God in drama through the sacraments, 1 Corinthians 11. We declare God's grace back to him through biblically influenced song, Ephesians chapter 5. And we submit to the Lord through his submission to his appointed shepherds, 1 Timothy 3. We, we gather together and we can long to come to our worship in a church where the word of God is proclaimed and unleashed. Where we read the word, we sing the word, we see the word, we hear the word, and we pray the word. God's word right back to him. That's why, you know, months ago in Michigan, I was talking about the joy of praying scripture. In Psalm 23 at the time, you remember? Because that is when we pray God's word right back to him. We are encountering him. Sometimes it's hard to long for worship. And I think if that's where you're at, the best place to just say is, right now I'm in a place it's hard for me to long to worship. And that's great. Tell God what he knows already. And ask him to stir your affections. But also then use that as an opportunity to send your folks and saying, what am I longing for? Because at the end of the day, long, true longing for worship isn't about how the music makes you feel. True longing for worship isn't about how inspiring the preacher is. True longing for worship isn't about space. You can have a great longing for worship out in a tent in the Sahara, worshiping the Lord, just as easily as you can worship the Lord in a historic building. Right? It's not about that. It's about who am I meeting there? Do I see the grace of God? Do I hear the love of Christ? Is the word unleashed to my soul? Does it, is the word preached in a way that it sings and that it stings? Who am I encountering? There's this longing. I want to have this longing for worship of the psalmist because I want this longing to meet God. It's his house, his courts. And we see that the longing of the psalmist is rooted in the blessing of God's presence. We'll get part of that this morning, part of that next week. Verse three, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praises. There is a place for everyone in God's house. That's what he's saying here in verse three, right? There's a place. There's a place for the sparrow. There's a place for the swallow. If there's a place for the sparrow and the swallow, there's a place for you. 
This is important. I mean, and, and think about think about the emotion at this point. Have you ever gone somewhere where you were told there's not place for you here? Maybe it was as simple as, you know, you went out to go out to a nice restaurant, you were excited to go to the restaurant, and you got there, and they said, uh, I'm sorry, we're full. And you said, well, how long is it going to be? And they said, 90 minutes. I can remember, I only went to Disney once as a kid, but I hated Disney. Because I couldn't stand for that idea of, if you're, at, you know, they'd have these signs at the time, I don't know what it's like now, and they'd say, it'll be two hours before you get to this ride. And I remember every time we got to one of those ones, my parents were like, okay, let's go to another one. And we'd shuffle off to another one that said the same thing, and then we'd go, it's not exciting when you feel like you're denied to go somewhere. Psalmist is is speaking to people, and he said, you're not going to be denied entrance into the temple of the Lord. Even the sparrow has a home there. You have a home there. You have a home there. There's a place for you regardless of your background regardless of what you're struggling with this week. No matter how much you know your Bible or how little you know your Bible, no matter the color of your skin, the style of your dress, the length of your hair, there's a place for you in the temple of God. And, and again, here, here's a place where the, the, the truth of this scripture, again, I think this sings and stings. Because if there's a place for us all in the presence of the, in, in, the, in the temple of God, that speaks to the believer and the unbeliever. Let's talk about that for a minute. If you're, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, I think if you understand that there's a place for you, you might be excited to come to church in a way that you never were. Because I've known a lot, so for the non-Christian, let's go in order, for the non-Christian, I've, I know, I've talked to, so I know this is not fiction, people who think, because of who I am and what I've done, I can't go to church. Or I need to get my life together before I can go to church. I can, I, I can remember one, one guy I'm just thinking of the, the, this morning who we were trying to talk to him about the Lord and then his coworker came to us and said, he, if he goes into church, he's going to burst into flame. And, and there was a little hyperbole there. But that hyperbole was covering up a core conviction. He can't go to church because of what he's done. I can't go to church because of what I have done. And so there may be some of you in this room, that some people watching online, you feel like, I, I don't know. Maybe some of you felt that way at one point in your life. I'm not good enough yet to walk into the doors of a church. I am not good enough. I know plenty of people that have said, I know plenty of people have said, I'm not good enough yet. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, but I'm not good enough to get baptized yet. There's so many of us we think, I haven't arrived There are some people out there that think they need to stop swearing, stop lying, and stop sinning, and then there's a home for them in church. Because they they, they imagine that church is supposed to be this place for holy people rather than a hospital for the sick and redeemed. But think about Jesus. Jesus scandalized the people of his day for what? He hung out with a lot of broken people. He didn't tell, he didn't, he didn't say, he didn't walk into a room and say, when you get it together, then we can talk. He engaged sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and people that the religious establishment didn't want to talk to. He went and he engaged them. And he, he ate, remember, you can read the gospels, right? He'd go into their homes and, and people would say, you're having dinner with a sinner. You're having a dinner with someone that's far from God. And Jesus would be like, yeah, that's right. Because it's the sick that need a doctor. Jesus spent time. He never shied from calling sin a sin. He never shied from calling people to repentance. 
but he always showered them with love and grace. If you wait to come to church until you get your act together, you will never come. If you wait to get to reach a certain level of holiness, like you're playing a video game, oh, I've reached level nine, you're never going to come to church. Ever. If there's a home for the sparrow, there's a home for you. I knew this amazing Christian couple. Um, he was a church administrator at the large church I served at. His wife was a therapist, and they loved Jesus and each other deeply. It was beautiful. Beautiful le- legacy of faithfulness. But you know, the first time they walked into the doors of even that church, they were each abusing alcohol, they did not know the Lord, and their marriage was on the rocks. And they came into that church, and that church was a building like five times the size of this room, and they sat as far apart from each other as you could sit. But they came every week. Came separately, left separately. And week after week after week, they began hearing about this Jesus, the friend of sinners. And they began to understand forgiveness and grace. And praise God, they were actually loved by people in the room. And they were not judged for sitting apart. And what happened is slowly they began sitting closer and closer and closer to one another. And after a long season of coming to church, not, be, be, not believing in Jesus, not trusting Jesus, not struggling to love each other, eventually got, they got saved. And eventually, they stood next to each other, holding hands in church, worshiping Jesus, adopted, rescued, redeemed children of God. But church was a safe place for them when they were there and they didn't even know why. And, and, they, and God changed their lives. There was a place of, for, in, in the house of God for them while they were still trying to figure things out. And there was a place in the house for God for them while they were still trying to learn how to live what they had come to believe. And church needs to be a place where, we're ha- where we welcome and love both groups of people. And honestly, that's up, that's up to those of us who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Because sadly, the reason a lot of unbelievers think there's no place for me in the church is because of things others have said or done to them in the name of Christ. And so there is this feeling, I don't belong there. There is not a place for me there. We need to make church a safe place for people who are struggling with doubt and struggling with sin. In fact, we need to reach out to people who think there's no place for them in church, just like Jesus did. And that's going to be the topic of our sermon series we start in July, God on the Move. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I'm here, come here and let's talk. He sought people. He went looking for the lost sheep of Israel. He was always on the move. And so we need to make church a safe place. We don't excuse sin, but we show people the grace and love of Jesus that we have received in Christ. And this is really significant, again, I think in our cultural moment. Because right now we live in a cultural moment where you're in or you're out. You're an outsider or you're an insider. And it's too easy to bring that cultural moment into the church. You either love Drudge or you love Huffington Post. You love Fox News or you love MSNBC. And it's too easy for us to look and take those ideas and think the other side is the enemy. Are you in or are you out? You're for this cause or you're against this cause. I've had same-sex couples call me and say, am I allowed to come to your church? Because I feel like I'm not. 
I can remember the joy it was when I, and, and I, you know what I always tell them? When, and I've had this happen on many occasions, actually. A same-sex couple say, am I welcome in your church? I always say yes. I hope you come. I hope you are loved. I hope you are cared for. Greatest blessing, one of the greatest blessings I've ever had in pastoral ministry is watching my church in um, my one church where we had a same-sex couple come week after week after week. And you know what happened? It was amazing. People hugged them. People loved them. People talked to them. I preached the word of God every week. Tried to imitate the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. And I will never shy from doing that. And, and I don't mind. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I do not feel bad if someone is offended by the word of God. But I don't want someone to be offended because I'm a jerk who acts like their sin is worse than my sin, who forgets, who, who, who makes it look like they can't come to church because they are um, a sinner in need of a Savior, just like I was the first time when I walked into a church, a sinner in need of a Savior. If there is a place for the sparrow and the swallow at the altar, there is a place for you. And here's the beautiful thing, church. The psalmist is writing this, right? There's a place for the sparrow and the swallow in the house of God. He's declaring it. It's our blessing to declare that to a culture that needs to hear it. They may not hear it directly from the psalmist the way we're hearing it this morning, but they can hear it directly from you. Will you share with people that there is a place for them in the house of God? I'm not telling you to excuse sin, just like I don't want you to excuse your own sin. But there's a place for everyone in the house of God. You know, I got a book just before I came here that I'm starting to read. You're going to hear me talk about it. It's called Anatomy of a Deceased Church. Do you know that every week in America, between 100 and 150 churches close? 2019, almost 10,000 churches closed their doors in the United States. 10,000. And I'm telling you that so you feel a level of the onus of that. Because like Fenton prayed, I'll preach the doctrines of grace all day. God is sovereign. But he get, but he's also holds us to a measure of human responsibility. Churches, close, churches like churches that have been in existence for hundreds of years where the gospel has been preached close all the time in America. They get smaller, they get smaller, giving decreases. Pastors need to move on because they can't afford to live. There's less energy for outreach. Churches close. More churches are closing than churches are starting. And I believe that the way the church mobilizes today is we, so this is my two cents, I don't really care about a culture war, but I care about a gospel war. We're going to take the gospel around and let people see it we got to share that there's a place for them at the house of God. And so you've heard, you know, we've talked every week, someone else has been talking about change. And again, I feel like I'm name dropping every other sentence, so forgive me. I love, we were in an elder meeting, and one of the elders, it was Fenton, he said, I don't want change for change's sake, but we need to seek new opportunities. And that's what you're going to hear us talk about. New opportunities for the gospel. Because the fact is, if something is not growing, it's dying. And we as a church need to have a sense of urgency. You heard, I mean, Carl, I, you referenced, I said I love the fact that to me it is the work of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that he's called all these families out into the mission field in the last 10 years. That is a beautiful sign of faithfulness. And I was sitting in my office with, with 
you know, uh, the head, Emily, the head of the missions team this week, and I said, I am so excited about the, the, way, the, people, the way people have responded faithfully from this church to take God, the gospel to University of New Hampshire, to PNG, to places I can't name. I am excited. And I said, but we're going to have to really have a sense of urgency if we're going to be able to financially support them in five years. And I don't believe God has done with us, but I think he's given us a sense like we need to do something. We need to have a sense of urgency to take the gospel. The, the biggest reason churches die, you wonder what it is? Apathy. Lack of urgency. We take things for granted. They, do, do you want to know, I'm going off script now, but you want to know something interesting? You can look statistically, the older a church is and the larger it is, the less it grows and the harder it is for that church to reach people for Christ. And I don't, you know, I, I'm like a Mark Twain guy, so I don't always like statistics. But this is a statistic that's really verifiable. Why? Because the older a church gets, the more we create programs for us and the less we think about reaching people for Christ. The larger a church gets, the more we hit a sense of complacency. Yet I can tell you, having served in church plants, the reason sometimes church plants are often considered the most successful way to reach people for Christ is you know you're a step away from death. Because you probably don't even own your own building, you got no money, and there's a sense of urgency that's inherent in the, in, the, in the call. We at Dover Baptist need to have that same sense of urgency no matter how large we are, no matter how big the, the, the money is in the offering. A sense of urgency to reach people for Christ. Because this people's eternal destiny is on the line. And if we really understand the grace of Christ, that we encounter Christ when we come to this worship, if we really believe that we've been saved by grace from this extravagant love, why would we not tell someone about Jesus? You want a homework assignment? Go home and, and, and YouTube. Teller gets a Bible. Magician, entertainer, pen teller. YouTube teller gets a Bible, and you're going to see an unbeliever break down at the love that was shown to him when a Christian actually tried to witness to him. We need to have that level of urgency to reach people for Christ. God's given us this opportunity. So, it's a, so, so it's, we're responsible. But the fact that there's always a place for the sparrow and the swallow is also a, another message to us as Christians. When we sin, we don't want to run from God. We want to run to God. Because there's always a place in the house of God. Hebrews 4, I love how Hebrews 4 puts it. Since then, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. There is a place for you in the house of God when you stumble and mess up. And I love it because the Holy Spirit-inspired writer of the Hebrews, he knows what happens to a lot of us as Christians, right? The fact that he gives this imperative, hold fast, tells you that he knows us well enough to know that a lot of times when you struggle, what do you think you need to do? I need to avoid the Lord. I mean, you do that in your human relationships, don't you? You, you know, you, you feel like you, maybe you were like mean to someone or you, did some, you said something wrong, and sometimes we tend to just avoid them. Avoidance is our strategy for mess-ups as human beings. And that happens in our walk with the Lord, right? We stumble, we sin, all of a sudden the Bible starts collecting dust. All of a sudden we skip small group. All of a sudden we don't go back to church. Because maybe in a good way you feel like, I let the Lord down. 
How could I respond to his grace in such a manner? I should be so much more holy. I should be have it all more together. I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. This is as far as I come. I should be so much further now. And we guilt ourselves into avoiding the Lord. And yet, if there's a place for the swallow and the sparrow, then there's a place for us even when we've messed up. So he says, hold fast your confession. Well, what's the confession he's calling us to hold fast to? Verse 15. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. To me, this is one of the most powerful parts of the incarnation. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted. He understands what it's like when you, when, you, when you feel tempted to sin out of fear. When you feel tempted to sin out of worry. When you are tempted to sin out of pride or selfishness. He has been tempted in every way. And again, this is significant. How many of you, you don't want to share someone with something because you feel like they'll never understand? And, and the cry of the human heart is a cry to be understood, Right? So you don't share something with something you think, well, they'd never understand. They don't get it. And, and probably it's because sometimes you shared something with someone and they had zero compassion because they didn't get it. You never have that with Jesus because he was tempted in every possible way, yet he never sinned. He is the sinless son of God. Jesus never looks at an addict and says, you're an idiot. How could you possibly fall into that sin? I don't understand that temptation at all. Jesus never looks at someone who struggles with sexual sin and says, you're an idiot. I don't know how you could possibly fall into that sin. Jesus never calls sin good. He always offers us something better. But he is sympathizes with our weakness. He knows we are but dust. He personally felt the temptation of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, yet was without sin. So he knows. Can you long to come together and worship God when you know, even in a week when you have messed up royally, that you are coming together to worship a God who knows exactly what that temptation felt like and who overcame and who says, I want to help you overcome by the power of my spirit and by the fellowship of a believing church that should walk together with you in the midst of struggle, trial, and travail. That's who God is. That's why when we stumble, right, we can approach the throne of grace. Again, what a word to underline, with confidence. We don't approach the throne of grace with confidence because sin is good. We don't approach the throne of confidence because we're perfect. We approach the throne of grace with confidence because it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. Sit underneath a Savior filled with love. What are you longing for? The more we understand who we are encountering when we worship, how rich his love and grace is, the more we will long to be in his presence with the rest of his saints. Because there's no better place to be. Right, uh, Joe Queen and a writer for GQ in the New York Times wrote an article about our culture's inability to accept the ordinary. This was an apt idea. He wrote that, we demand, quote, that every experience be a watershed, every meal be extraordinary, every friendship epochal, every concert superb, every sunset metacelestial. Nothing can ever be exactly what it was in the first place. Ordinary. 
And if you spend any time on social media, you know exactly what he's talking about. Nothing can be, we're always longing for, for the extraordinary. And yet, in the midst of the ordinary means of grace, where we sing to the Lord together, where we hear his gospel of grace together, where we partake of the sacraments together, and his preached word, where we give together, we experience the extraordinary every moment. Because we are worshiping the Lord together with people, with blood-bought sons and daughters of God who will be in the presence of Jesus for eternity. We are encountering the living God around his word. And that is extraordinary. Because we don't worship a God who has not made himself known. We worship a God who has made himself known in his word, in creation, and through Christ. And every time we enter in his presence, however dull and monotone it may feel, we enter into the presence of the divine Son of God. The God who loves us in spite of our sin, the God who died for us while we were still in our sins, before we had it all together, while we were still a mess, the God who calls us to repent and believe and has something better for us, the God who knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us anyway. The more we focus on the power of God's love demonstrated in the gospel of Christ, the more our longing for corporate worship will increase. Let's pray. Living, loving Father, we thank you and praise you that you are our God and that you are good and that your love endures forever and ever. Grow our longing to worship you. Grow our longing to see more people saved. Grow our zeal to do whatever it takes to take the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So some of you are going to be joining us.